0: This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor, sponsored by Core Logic.
1: We're finding all the shoes, the stuff that you want to sell today in your back room, and we're matching it to people's feet who are walking through your store. That, that is something your best salesperson couldn't do that on their own.
0: Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs, the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes.
2: I'm talking with Brent Hollowell. He has had roles such as the VP of Global Marketing at Foot Locker, Director of Marketing and Retail at Adidas America, Chief Marketing Officer at Fleetfeed, Feet, and he's currently the CMO at Volumental, which we'll hear more about that in a minute. And he has led the product and marketing efforts for their leading fit tech company, helping shoppers find their perfect fit in some of the world's best brands and retailers. Welcome, Brent.
1: Hello, Bob. Good to see you. Good to hear you.
2: It's good to see you, my friend. Now, before we talk about your relationship with retail, and you have stories I know, I know, but I did (laughs) see that you are on the Hawk Mountain Sanctuary Association in Pennsylvania. Mm. Can you tell me what that is?
1: Well, okay. I was on the Hawk Mountain Sanctuary Board when I lived in Pennsylvania. I'm no longer on the board, but it is the most amazing place, one of the most amazing places on the planet, and certainly in the state of Pennsylvania. But there is a peak where all the migrating birds go past basically from, you know, upwards from Canada all the way down to South America or wherever birds go when they migrate, they go through this Hawk mountain. And there are people who sit there on this peak and count the birds. And so from year to year, you know, it changes, you know, and and they literally, they don't just count the birds. They count each species of bird as it goes by. And um, yeah, they're all volunteers, uh, but it is the world's most, one of the world's most prevalent, I should say, leading bird sanctuaries. Crazy story. I didn't even know you were going to ask this question, but it was founded by a woman from New York City who wanted to preserve these wild places. And and what what was happening was hunters in Pennsylvania, which one thing they love to do there is hunt. They were just out there blasting these eagles and all these beautiful, magnificent birds out of the sky. And, And this woman, Rosalie Park, I think her name was. No, that's not right. I'm wrong. But um, she basically bought up the property and said, you guys can't hunt here anymore. And there was there was almost like a huge turf war because, <laughs> you know, hunters would go out there and, and just fire away. So anyway, they, they created this sanctuary and now they do training for bird sanctuaries all over the world. So people will come from Africa and Asia and learn the art of bird preservation, and they study the. there's a lot you can learn about the way the earth is going from how birds migrate, how many of them there are in any given year, and so forth. I love that. It's amazing. See, I had to round out your story a little bit because you've done all
2: these CMO kind of things, and then you've got a big heart. See, that's what what people like to know. I live up here in the Hudson Valley and, you know, we have bald eagles up here. In fact, we've just been named 60 miles south of Albany as this Hudson Eagle recreation, not recreation, something else, but it's all about that for 60 miles, this is one of the last places that you're going to find them and we got to take care of it. So I love that about you. Now you work in Sweden. I appreciate you joining me late in the afternoon there. Can you tell us what your role is and what volumental does? That's Let's yeah, get that up. yeah. So
1: I, I'm the CMO at Volumental, and it's kind of uh, it's kind of like that old hair club for men ad. You know, the guy he liked the company so much he bought it. Um, uh, helped him with his hair, his his bald hair. I didn't buy Volumental, but I did come to work for them because I was a customer at Fleet Feet for you know almost the four years before we were one of the early customers of Volumental. So when we bought them on, it was basically a replacement for the brand device, bringing digital tools into the into the uh, sales floor. And we immediately got such a value out of the kind of data that we were getting. We are getting sort of these 12 data points of the foot. So it wasn't just the length of the foot or the width, but we were actually seeing, you know, so the girth of the foot, the height of the instep, the height of the arch. So it opened up all these great conversations to get people in the right product. Over time it's migrated into building this gigantic database that Volumental has now with about 12 million scans. And what we did is take the, purchase data from the customer and match it to that 3D scan of that foot. So now you're actually, you're not using a a device to measure the foot. You're using feet to measure shoes. And so through the magic of AI, which I don't, I mean, the great thing about being here is I'm always the dumbest guy in the meetings. Uh, There's just a bunch of like, you know, programmers and and computer vision scientists and and algorithm and algorithm writers who figure all this out, but basically, If you take if I take Bob's foot and I see all the dimensions of his foot and I know what he bought, I can put that into the same we call the fit engine. And we do that millions of times. When Bob comes into this, when Bob's brother comes in the store and we measure his foot, we can see the shoes that are going to fit his foot the best. So we can not only recommend, hey, this is your size. We can recommend you of the universe of shoes that have already been built that are sitting in your back room or sitting, you know, in your warehouse these are the shoes that are going to fit the shape and size of your foot the best. And so it's incredible. I mean, it made people like you would have to be a shoe dog and do hundreds of fittings before you really knew what to go get out of the back room in a running store, right? Well, we can make a person productive on the sales floor from day one because they've got the iPad in their hand. They're getting recommendations of the stuff that's sitting in the back room. And we're just bringing out the shoes that are in the back room that will fit Bob's foot the best. And you know, of course, there's personal preference. You might like it a little tighter than the next person, but we can show you, hey, Bob, your foot's probably, you know, a little wider than 85% of the population. Uh, you should probably wear a men's size 10 and About 80% of the people with your type of foot wear 10 and a half in this style, not just a 10 and in general, but in this style, they buy the 10 and And then we can show you what happens if you were to buy the 10. But you can try it on. You can make your own decisions. And then that just that decision, though, informs this fit engine and it keeps getting smarter and smarter. So it's, it's pretty incredible what we're able to do with it. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I discovered Volumental at NRF like, I don't know, four or five years ago. And they had this reception where I think we went to like the Swedish embassy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And you went in and they had the little you know device set up to scan your foot. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time, it it struck me because I am an old shoe dog, and I was in shoes and boots for an awful long time, put myself through college. And that really was your skill is you knew, why am I going to waste my time showing this guy the shoe? It'll never fit the guy. He's got too high an instep or it's too low and this will fall off and all that stuff. Yeah. So being able to, for once, not hear the buzzwords about AI, <laughs> but actually, oh, this is something that actually adds value to the customer and the retailer. That's what I think probably sparked the interest from you, right? Absolutely. You I mean, see that opportunity.
1: I could see it in my jobs I've had in the past. I've spent 30 years onboarding retail technologies in various states, you know, we can talk a little bit about that, but I've never seen a technology that checks all the boxes that are retail, you know, helps you acquire customers, onboard them. You know, like we see email capture rates go up from like 10% to over 90% because people will give you their email address for that scan. Hey, I'll send you this cool scan. Give me your email address. Boom. Not even a question. Now you've got their email address. You've onboarded them into your, into your ecosystem, but also the the, the value that beyond what the retailer gets, just the, the pure customer experience, you know, the idea of, I don't know about you, but I mean, I've held a lot of people's feet in my hands and when you, but when you can say, Hey, your foot is, you know, a double E and it's, here it is. It's like an MRI. You're, you're not saying your ACL is blown out. I think you're showing them the, the, the MRI, right? And so that's a whole different co- now you're into a conversation where I can actually get this person the right, not only the size shoe, but the width shoe. And so that lowers returns, you know, it makes them more comfortable with what they're walking out. You get a better outcome, bottom line. And so
2: Yeah, I love that. And you know, yeah. the other thing that you've worked in running stores for so much of your career, Brent. Mm-hmm. And what I really liked is you know, what's one of the biggest problems that running stores have? The guy comes in or gal comes in, they're, you know, an enthusiast, they go out for runs every day or they're training for a marathon or a triathlon mm-hmm. or whatever it's going to be. And the problem is that they buy the one shoe from you, right? Mm-hmm. And then they wear it out. And so then they just buy online and get, well, I'll just right. get that same thing. And what I liked about this is with pretty good certainty, you could say, you know, that worked really well but these three others would be an upgrade to your product. Yeah. And now you've got data that supports it. That's got to be huge for the retailers that have gotten out of the discounting mindset, right? The ones yep. who realize like the money is in fit, the, mon- the money is in uh, cutting that that voluminous shoe wall that Foot Locker mm-hmm. had, right? Here's 400 intimidating shoes. Good mm-hmm. luck. yeah. And now you've you brought this down to, and these are the three just for
1: you. That's got to be powerful. It's really powerful. I mean, at Fleet Feet, people hardly even shop the shoe wall. They just came in, were greeted, and we just started talking to them about, you know, what we had, and then and then we could just cut to the chase, right? They, they weren't sort of standing there scratching their head for 20 minutes and wondering, should I talk to anybody? Or, you know, the intimidation factor went away because you were just able to be serviced around your unique, your unique needs. And so- yeah, it's, it's really powerful. It, it helps with inventory management and the whole thing. The story about the, 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 the width thing was interesting because um, we saw our width business jump by like 12% right out of the gate, you know, uh, 20%. And so this old sort of shoe, shoe dog story that we told ourselves was, you know, you know, these people, they don't believe they have wide feet, so I'm going to have to get them in a bigger shoe. So that's really been reduced greatly. And so we see these great returns, uh, reduction in returns. And so, yeah, and, and it is an in-store tool. I mean, the, the thing you said about, like, you buy a shoe once and then you you go online and buy the next time. Well, what happens is they have such a great in-store experience. They want to do that again and they want to see what other shoes fit them. They tend to, oh, there were some other things in there that that um, I was shown that I wouldn't have even thought of because I've been, a you know, a, an aficionado of this brand or whatever, brand X, Y, or Z. So it opens up their mind. It opens up the salespeople's minds about They think they might know uh, what to pull out, but now they're pulling out some different things because the AI is basically saying, actually, you should, and you have it in your back room, by the way, you know, you should pull out these other two and let them try it. So it's a great experience. What
2: I really like about that is in a time with supply chain, all we hear about is, there's 70 containers off of the California shore. It's like, shut Mm -hmm. the hell up. All Mm -hmm. that matters is sell what you've got. Mm -hmm. And so what this does is, Yeah, maybe I am a part-timer. I don't know what the heck the Adidas 85621 from last (laughs) year was. I guess they're not selling. We should put those half off instead of, holy crap, you know, a lot of people, that's a great fit. We could
1: easily turn that without making the discount. That has to make a difference in the bottom line. Exactly. And as I think about the supply chain woes, I think all the time about how, you know, what our technology can do just from that perspective you're basically everyone's been talking about customization for years we're going to custom build shoes but there's no guarantee if if feet and shoes aren't puzzle pieces they're not plastic puzzle pieces so just because i build a shoe that's exactly the size of your foot doesn't mean you're going to like it you know so what if we could use technology to take all the shoes that are actually already built and find the right feet in the world for those shoes right that's what's happening on a macro level, but on a micro level, we're finding all the shoes, the stuff that you want to sell today in your back room, and we're matching it to people's feet who are walking through your store. That that is something no per, your best salesperson person couldn't do that on their own. And so you're you're using the technology to help them.
2: Right? They're not going to get that online either because no at the end of the day, that experience, you know, for me when I was uh, selling shoes, the whole goal is get that foot off, get that shoe off that foot. If I get the shoe off, I'm in. That's all I think about. And then with this, I think, all right, all I have to do is get the scan. Get the scan, and the world opens up to me, right? The rapport building has got to make this easy. It's fun. Let's try it. So so this all sounds great. So what are some learnings that you found out when you did this that might have been uh, not so great? Because it's a technology. Let's face it. There had
1: to be a learning curve. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, they had already decided on Volimental before I was hired at, at Fleet Feet. So when I came aboard, my first thought was, "This is didn't we prove that scanning feet doesn't work like ten years ago at like uh, with Doctor Scholl's foot pads or whatever? Like this is terrible." And 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 so first of all, that's that's a bad idea. Second bad idea is this company is in Sweden. Okay, it's it's twenty people in Sweden. Like this is going to be the, we're going to send these machines out to one hundred and eighty stores. Uh, This is terrible. So that all just worked. Like somehow these guys made these machines work and we didn't have downtime. We didn't have all these technology problems. So that was a learning. But when we, when we first um, tried to turn on the fit engine, the actual style recommendations thing, it was coming back with all kinds of wacky stuff that, that, you know, the people on the floor, uh, the the people, you didn't have to be a shoe dog to know that that this wasn't a very good choice. And so the fit engine was actually, we kind of launched it too early. And, um, and sort of had to go back and fix that and, and let more data, you know, get the algorithms better. And so we came back several months later and, and had to convince the, the stores to use the Fit Engine. But once they did, a few stores piloted it and said, wow, this is actually a really cool tool. Then it became much better. So you, you have learnings like that. No, no, no technology. I love, every, I love technology because everybody kind of understands that it's always in data, right? Nothing is ever set. There's always a a V1, V2, V3. But the optimism, the optimistic part of technology is that you know, even if it's not perfect, it can get better. And this is what happens. So I think that's a great learning. Yeah, no,
2: I think that's really important. I know we just refilmed all of SalesRx, my online retail sales training program. And you look back and you think, oh, I see what that was so cutting edge are so great at the beginning. And then you think (laughs) you you look at it again, you're like, Oh, well, what else could we do? And I think ultimately, you know, I was reading an article this morning. They're saying is the deck stacked against small and medium sized retailers because of all the supply chain and all the big boys are doing Mm all these things. And I was like, the most creative people are the indie retailers. They're the little speed boats that are figuring it out. And you look at fleet feet in particular, and what they have got, this passionate group of running stores who are competing against the Nikes of the world and people getting an awful lot of PR. So in your experience, and I know you've been in sports marketing and an awful lot of of different things, what would you say are like the top five things that retailers do really well Mm -hmm. in the best stores that you see? But I also... You know, we do need the five things that you think they shoot themselves in the foot or do wrong. And this has nothing to do with who you work for right now. Just you're an expert. I want to see what you think the five best and
1: then the five worst. Okay. You do a trick question at me here. So I don't really, I have a hard time counting to three. So I'll try to, I'll I'll do the best I can with this. All right. One thing is the the top five and the bottom five are the worst five or probably, you know, one thing I've learned in life is our best strengths are sometimes our biggest weaknesses. So I think there'll probably be some overlap between, what people do well and, and, and and what they don't do well. But I think, you know, I'm a branding guy, I'm a marketing guy. So I think what the best stores do, the best retailers do, whether you're a single shingle, you know, mom and pop store, or you've got a chain of stores, the very best ones define early on, who are we? You know, what is our brand? You know, what's our why, if you will, like what, what are our brand standards? And so with that, it's kind of like, it starts to, if you understand why you exist, like what, why would someone come to my store? They drove 15 miles. Why did they come here? What are we going to provide them? Defining that um, really typically is the indicator of, you know, you're going to have a good experience in that store. So, you know, sort of defining your brand and then aligning your practices behind that, not just saying this is what we mean. And then hiring somebody who can't possibly deliver that experience or, you know, hiring them and then not training them to deliver that experience. I see a lot of uh, people. So, so that's the best thing you can do is set the brand, hire the right people to deliver that. Experience. I, I really do think it's a people thing, frankly, more than anything else that you buy or bring in. We're totally in alignment, my friend. Okay, If you
2: don't hire someone that's trainable and you don't train them, y- you've already set the game against yourself. So yeah. I don't care what you say, customers are important it's clear it isn't,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. And then I think it's about um, what do you do after you sell them, right? So, uh, you know, how do you, how do you sort of onboard them into your ecosystem and give them something to take away or something to remember that it's going to bring them back, you know? And so I think, you know, today it's like capturing email addresses, but it could be something. I remember you did a clinic I saw a long time ago that um, you pulled people up and you said, uh hey let's let's we were talking about trails that are good in the local area give me your phone and you recorded yourself say hey hey joe we talked about this and um i want to just remind you that these trails are over here you know, this trail's here this trail's here don't forget to go out and run you put it right on their phone right and they walked away that's a memorable experience that you actually physically take out with you. it's not the standard stuff so i think retailers that find that little extra secret sauce whatever it is you know
2: and it's fun. I think it's got to be yeah. fun for whoever, right, who's on the sales floor, because it's not a check mm-hmm. the box. It's like, how cool would it be if you were a customer and mm-hmm. a new runner doesn't know the area and you say, oh, the Chattahoochee Trail just starts out here. It's easy. Yeah. But, you know, we do a run, too. And, and they're like, oh, I could yeah. participate, too. It's like, yeah. yeah. Right. Versus. You know, if you l- sign up for our friends and family, we'll give you ten percent off. You're not <laughs> right. like,
1: oh nah, no, one wants to no. Pay. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. You know, I'll give you a fake email address to get out of here, but I don't want. You know, this. this But like, you just put that down on their cell phone. Was they, they, they're going to remember you? Um, so I think you know that's that's clearly something that that you can do, and then I think I, I'm trying to think of like what other things.
2: Just three bad things that you see: people that shoot themselves in the foot. If you go into a store, whatever that store is—running store, anything—what are the the things that that you see? Because you have the same eyes as I do; you yeah. just have a different filter.
1: I see it all the time. They don't. There's no theme. There's no like sort of like where am I supposed to go? I'm in here. I'm in your store. There's no like where do you want me to go? There's just stuff everywhere. It's like a product truck exploded in the store. So you know, it's like where. What, what am I supposed to, like, how do I navigate this environment? So I think just like thinking about from a customer, like you work in that environment every day, so you know where everything is, but how can you make it like really stand out and feel great to a person walking in? I, think, I, I see this more in smaller stores that don't have a whole visual merchandising department and whatnot. It's like really focus in on what, what is it that you want people to see? What are you proud of uh, you know about like the store that you, that you have, but also the product that you have in it? And then guide people, you know, do some story, like visual storytelling in that space because you can't always rely, you can get busy on a Saturday. You can't always rely on one of your employees, grabbing somebody and, and walking them through. So you got to think about the story that you want to tell in that space. And I see a lot of people just give very little thought to that. It's like, Oh, uh, you know, they'll find it. And, and, and that's just a big mistake.
2: They'll figure it out. Yeah. They'll that's figure how it we out. hired people. They'll figure it yeah. out.
1: And I, and I also think uh, the other thing, I'll go back to the, the training. It's, it's like, a lot of retailers think that their job and they hire people who think that their job is to sell people. And it's obvious when you work into this, when you walk into a store where the attitude is, I'm here to sell you something or I'm here to get you something. If you've decided to buy it versus I'm here to serve you. I think if you can get people, if you can think about, I'm here to serve people. I remember when I started at Foot Locker, you know, I graduated from college. I got recruited by footlocker i was i wanted my big dream was to go work in an ad agency i wanted to get into marketing but footlocker this was a division of the uh woolworth corporation at the time and actually woolworth corporation owned the Kinney shoe corporation so footlocker was an offshoot of Kinney shoes right so you're
2: dating you, yourself uh, yeah, my friend. you want to talk are, about I, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah you want to talk about bad brand stories i mean those those two retail entities are extinct right they didn't evolve with the cut they didn't think about they just said well we have stuff in our stores uh, when the consumer evolved, when the mall evolved, they didn't evolve with it. And so Woolworth became basically Walmart and Kenny's shoes became a hundred other shoe stores that got more specialized. They didn't try to sell everything. They yeah. They didn't try to sell every Kenny kept trying to sell everything to everybody. And what they could have done was fragmented out different types of shoe stores. Uh, when the malls became more prevalent, you weren't driving up with the whole family to a roadside store anymore. You were going into a mall where people could fragment. So, Anyway, like, I, I just think that when I started out of college and got recruited, I I wasn't super stoked to be working in a shoe store. I believed that I was going to be able to work my way up like all the Woolworth Corporation executives had. They started in the stores, and the whole recruiting track was, if you start in a retail stores, we'll teach you the retail business, and you can roll through. I mean, by that time, they already had over 1,000 stores, so I don't know what I was thinking that I was actually going to be able to get into marketing out of a 1,000 people that they were hiring, you know. But um, that is actually what happened. But I I remember distinctly being not super stoked that I was going to be working in a shoe store. And the the mental shift that I made was, you know what, you're actually getting to help people. You're you're actually going to work. Like people are coming in, they want to play basketball or they want to run. Um, And when I woke up every morning, I was excited about going to work because I was I I had in my mind that I was helping people. That made me a better salesperson. It made me happier employee. And and I learned something about like as when I became a manager of my own stores, that we need to give people a vision of what it is that they're actually there to do. Um, and that's and that's help people. No matter what you're doing, you're helping people. That's what's great about retail, is you get to help people get the things uh, that they want and or need, right? And so then show them things they don't even know that they
2: want or need. And yeah. you know, when you're just being a person as long as you have a structure underneath you, you understand it's not just us hanging out that your yeah. role here is to serve yeah. and to serve the other people that work with you. I think it's it's fabulous. Well, we are gonna continue in just a minute with Brent Hollowell, but first a word from this season's sponsor, Core Logic.
0: Millennials and shoppers alike have many options when it comes to retail shopping. Competition is fierce, and Core Logic wants to make sure your business is front and center of the transaction. Robust property data gives retailers of any size a competitive edge with a clear 360 degree customer view and a deeper level of insights into their targeted audience. Retail marketers can use CoreLogic's trusted property data to build a successful customer loyalty experience. By identifying new customers and uncovering accurate marketing insights, CoreLogic will help your business thrive. Learn more at corelogic.com find.
2: Okay, and we're back with Brent talking shoes, talking volumetal, talking hawks up on a mountain. uh, So what kind of innovations have you seen in marketing? You know, I think it's easy for so many retailers to chase the shiny object. Oh, I should be on TikTok. Oh, we should be doing a Facebook live stream. Oh, we right. And and no one can do it all. Yeah. But what are those changes that you think if you had your own store, let's say a group of two or three stores, retail store of some kind, Where do you think there would be value or where we're going that you could recommend?
1: Well, I mean, I'm going to assume that everybody got the memo during COVID that whether you like online or not, that you've you've got to be online, right? You you may not love it, uh, but it it was a lifeline for a lot of people during COVID. And if if you had been rejecting it before, you were in scramble mode for survival. So the world isn't going backwards. You know, there are people, people are going to, you know, even before COVID started, 80% of the people started their their search for products online, you know, in the shoe in the shoe business for sure. That was even before COVID. So this isn't gonna change. So if, if I own stores, I would want to make sure I had some sort of good online presence. I'm not saying I'm not trying to compete with, you know, Amazon with with a dot-com that just but but locally, you know, am I optimized? Is my you know if someone searches on Google, you know, are my reviews good? You know all the things that you can do around Yelp and all of that like make sure that your your ship is tidy because they're looking at those reviews and if you've got a lot of bad reviews and things it's 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 hard to reverse that right like people just don't want to show up to a restaurant or a retail store where they think they're going to get lousy service right and and, and people do look at this stuff so optimize for those things that that you know that you yourself use ask your kids you know what do they use to find out about how good something is before they go and then and then try to try to look as good in those things as you can um, I think, you know, sort of people have set up like appointment scheduling. There's, there's some cool things. There's some cool plugins you can do now for appointment scheduling uh, that came up during COVID on a sort of virtual selling. There's some great applications out there for that. And I think, you know, your customers are modifying their behavior. Therefore we as retailers need to modify our behavior, uh, you know, to, to meet them where they are with what they want to do. You can rail against the system and, and all that, or you can sort of say, "Yeah, the world's changing. Um, what are the right things for me to evolve?" But yeah, don't get FOMO and chase every single shiny object. But the, but look at what your customers are really doing. You know, ask them, "How did you find me?" You know, just 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 you can get you can glean through conversation with your customers, kind of how they're going about their lives, and you can and you can use it to your own advantage, I think. And so you don't have to go crazy.
2: Well, I yeah, and I think you know you've heard me say it forever is retail's a game of being brilliant on the basics. It's not yeah. like there's a new way to build rapport. You either build rapport or you don't. There's not There's not that many ways. Yeah, it's a one or a zero. Right? If you yeah. if you just take that idea, right? Mm-hmm. You can't take a, a technology like metal and go like, oh, well, it'll also help you slice bread. It's like, no, we know who we are. We know what we do. Yeah. Here's what the great story is. And it becomes easy. And I think that's that's the challenge. I think too many people have, right now, a lot of writers are saying how awful it is to work retail, hmm. hospitality, restaurant. No wonder no one wants this. That's why they're all leaving. Okay, yeah. well, they left. All right. Mm-hmm. But I think most people will find that if you're really interested in building a career, if you're going to go into marketing or you're going to go into have your own business or whatever, the skills that you learn working in a retail store are second to none because yeah. you suddenly have to learn it's about making somebody else happy before yeah. they're going to make you happy, yeah. right? I, I mean,
1: I wouldn't have had the marketing career I had if I hadn't started in a store because, you know, all, all respect to a lot of my peers in the industry, like you you can listen to a lot of marketing people talk, but and, and everybody's smart, but if you don't have that practical experience of where the rubber hits the road, like, okay, what's the impact of what marketing I'm building? How does that get actually implemented at the point of sale? How, how do these messages, you know, that's, that's invaluable because you learn when you're, when you're working with people like on a retail floor that there's only so much attention or focus they can have in, on any one thing, right? Like we have all these great brand promises. We got a million features and benefits and all that kind of stuff. I mean, people used to walk into a, a Footlocker Locker store. We paid a million dollars a year to have banners. Okay, we're in a mall, right? We'd have banners at the door going, you know, Christmas sale. We'd spend a million dollars a year. People would hit their head on the banner as they walked in the store and say, do you have anything on sale? So they're not, they're not focused on, on what you think they're focused on. So I remember coming out of the store when I got to Foot Locker, I said, I'm looking at this line item when I became head of marketing. And I'm going, guys, I, I was in a store you know, as, as late as three years ago. No one's looking at these banners. Uh, you know, they already, they're at the mall. They know it's Christmas time. We don't need a, a banner across the front of the door. Telling them if there's a sale, so let's use it. Use that, use that real estate for other things, like hey, we have the cool new Air Jordans or whatever it might be. So these are the kind of like lessons that you learn working on the retail sales floor. That people have a narrow focus. They they don't see everything that you think they see. They don't hear everything that you think they hear. We our brains can only handle so much. And so I think that understanding that when you're talking to people in a retail environment really makes you better. Just about any job you're going to have, whether it be operations marketing, you know, buying, you name it. Yeah. It'll prepare you for everything.
2: Well, to your point, coming from that sales floor, but then also valuing people's opinions who are there. Now, you know, in this day and age, everyone's got an opinion. You know, that shoe sucks. Why? (laughs) I just hate it. Well, that's not valuable to me. Thanks very much. But if if I'm bringing this shoe out eight times and eight times people are like, yeah, there's just something about it. That's probably information that would be valuable, if nothing else, then to the buyer Mm -hmm. because it might be something wrong with the run. There's a million things, but I think we have so vilified working in retail that we haven't really passionately gone into schools and said, look at all the people that are looked at as a great, almost like 90% of the leaders that you follow Mm -hmm. and they're inspirational or doing things or actors or other things. At some level, they probably had a connection to retail.
1: They started, yeah, they had, had, they were selling ice cream cones at a, you know, a a shop or doing something where they had to deal with, you know, customers and understood that where the rubber hits the road, like your stuff has to work where the rubber hits the road. And I think that makes you a better business person all around, whether, whatever role you end up with. I mean, it just, just even just basic people skills, you know, you can't, (laughs) you can't can't work in retail and be, but that goes back to the question you asked about like, what makes a store great or not? Like I think one of the reasons it's easy not to want to work in retail is because a lot of retailers don't make it a place that you would want to work, like make it a fun and engaging, but they don't train you, they don't uh, give you a a, a North star to follow about why you're there, what you're doing, and, and and then reward that great behavior when you do when you're doing the right things. And so it's pretty easy to quit a job like that, right? I mean, so yeah.
2: Absolutely. I was talking to Tom Sullivan, founder of uh, lumber liquidators and chemists to go in a few episodes earlier. And he Mm -hmm. said, my goal was to build a company I would want to work at. And I was like, dude, that's that's it. Yeah.
1: That's the simplest way you could put it. Or like, you know, if you have kids, you know, like, would you, would you want your kids to work there? Right. Are we building an environment where I want my own kids to work? And I think a lot of retail store owners or operators might, you know, if they really thought about it, you know, and thought about it honestly, it's like, yeah, would I? Am I doing? Am I treating these employees that I'm hiring like I would want someone to treat my son or daughter if they came to work here?
2: I think the going joke I've always heard is, "Oh no, I wouldn't want them to work that hard," and they don't <laughs> even value the job that they have learned on the yeah. fly. So we're yeah. we're coming to the end of our time here. You've been great over in Sweden to talk to Brent, but the not but but and the title of this podcast is "Tell me something good about retail." So tell me something good about retail today,
1: Brent. Well, I mean, I feel like we've we've said a lot of good things, but I think the bottom line is, if, if you're worried about the future retail, don't. Because humans are humans; we're social animals. We need to get out in the world. We want to talk to each other. We want to see each other. But we only want to do that if it's rewarding. And so our job is to is to make it a rewarding place to land. If we do that, then human nature is going to take over. Everybody just want to sit in their underwear at their house and and punch buttons online. You know, that, that's not what we're made to do. There's thousands and thousands of years of evolution working for us. If we just, uh, if we let it take its course, it's going to come back. It is coming back and, and, and there's going to be great things ahead for, for physical retail. Fabulous. That's a
2: great way for us to end today, Brent. And I appreciate you being on the podcast with us today.
1: You betcha. Great to see you, Bob. Take care.
0: You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Phibbs, the retail doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com.